0: On this episode of the Peter Panda Podcast, we're headed to the taxidermist with my friend and mentor, Jerry Anders. Now back in 2011, I drew a mountain goat tag here in Montana, and after I shot one, this man mounted it for me. It was the first piece of taxidermy I'd ever had done, and it lives in my living room proudly to this day. Jerry's a bit of a Montana legend and his stories and perspectives could never be reduced into one podcast. That said, I twisted the beast's arm and got him to sit down with me for what I hope is the first of many recorded conversations together. He's a little rough around the edges, straight to the point, and his blunt honesty is likely only outshone by his talent. So listen up. We're diving deep into the complexity and artistry of wild game taxidermy. With Mr. Jerry Anders. How long have you had this shop right here? Thirty-seven years. Is that when you bought the house? That's when I built the house. You built the house? Right. Thirty seven years ago you bought the dirt and built this house and built the shop? And built the shop. And built the shop. And you were a taxidermist at the time? Right. So back up from that, where'd you grow up? I grew up
1: in central Wisconsin. You did? I Old cheesehead. Right. You a Packers fan? Eh, yeah, sort of. <laughs> By default?
0: <laughs> yeah. Central Wisconsin. Yep. How long did you stay there?
1: I was there 34 years. Oh, that's a little while. Yep. What brought you out west? Mountains
0: that's what brought me here yeah. too mainly did you have a uh a job offering or a, a a life decision what what ultimately brought you
1: to bozeman um i don't know we drove around different states and we just picked bozeman as a place to live were you married at the time yes did you have kids two you had two at the time yep so you had a young family and
0: you were leaving wisconsin and looking for places out west and you landed here right were you a taxidermist then
1: yes how'd you get into that <clears throat> well i always like doing ta- some taxidermy so i met a guy in wausau wisconsin and i asked him if i could work with him a little bit and he said yes so that was the start of my taxidermy career then uh
0: so I you were were you a deer hunter in Wisconsin and yes and then uh at what how young were you when you first were like interested in taxidermy and g- tr- gave your hand at it about twenty eight I would say somewhere in there I don't want to I don't want to age you but what what years are we talking here years what year was it when you were twenty eight or when you uh, came to Montana.
1: I came to Montana in 84. 84. Yep. And when I was in Wisconsin, I was building modular homes, and one of the guys that worked there did fish taxidermy, and I did really, really nice fish. And we'd get laid off for like two months in the wintertime, and he asked me if I wanted to help him get caught up. So he showed me everything he knew about it, and lo and behold the next year this guy from uh Janesville, Wisconsin called and asked if I would teach his fish course. So you got real good at fish real quick. Yes.
0: This is skin uh skin right. fish taxonomy. So to, to clarify, there's two different ways to mount a fish. Right. One is to make a uh f- mold of it. And then make it out of plaster or fiberglass and paint it. Fiberglass. And then the other is to skin the fish. Right. Preserve the skin. Make a body. Make a body and sew it on. Yeah. So you were doing, that's like the real artistic
1: way. Right, that is. Uh, So I worked for him for like five years. And uh, as things would turn out, I taught that course. And I got roped into teaching the big game course. So what do you mean teaching?
0: Uh, was, teaching this a ac- was this a taxidermy academy? School, yeah.
1: It was, okay. We had like 35 students every class.
0: Wow, so you, right from the get-go, you were kind of an instructor at a right. taxidermy school.
1: And then he decided he wanted to make taxidermy forms. So he sent me all over the country Learning different techniques on making forms and taxidermy. So I learned a lot on his nickel.
0: Oh, you did? You got the company Dime sent right. you around. And so are you like measuring animals or are you looking at the, how they make with the molds? How do you
1: make the molds? And how do you do such a thing? Um, you have to mold an animal out of clay first. And. You make a two-part mold out of fiberglass. Make one side first, and then you make the other side. Mm-hmm. Pull them apart. And uh, in order to make a, a mannequin, you you have to uh, wax the inside of that mold, put a backboard in it, clamp it, pour foam in there, and let it rip. And then take it apart. And take it apart. And then you can mass it. produce it. it. Takes about twelve minutes. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. That foam raises fast, and it's yeah. got a lot of power. But uh, so that's what we did. So he gave me a brand new car. You must have been pretty good. <laughs> he must have seen a lot of value in you. New car and a credit card, and said, "Have a good time and oh boy, learn everything you can." With the understanding that you bring it back to me. <laughs> <laughs> with
0: the stacker of seats. Right. So, where'd you go?
1: Oh, God. I went to Georgia. I went to Colorado. I was in Minnesota. Let me think.
0: Are you just kind of networking through? Uh, taxidermists that know each other that are willing to share some wisdom to this young guy trying yeah. to trying Pretty. to become a better taxidermist and a form builder.
1: Pretty much, and I knew a guy by the name of Joe Kish. That's all he did was mold form, and he he worked for a couple different museums, Denver, and I can't remember the other one, but he was a, a master taxidermist, and he knew anything and everything about making forms. So, him and I got along good. Joe Kish. Joe Kish. We made paper forms. What's that? You laminate paper in a mold, and you have a paper form when you get done, which were quite good, but were labor-intensive.
0: So, you're, you're producing these one at a time. Right. Yeah, okay.
1: And it would take, like, a day and a half or more. Compared to foam, which takes twelve minutes, <clears throat> is it a, a more artistic
0: kind of a, a more respected way of of doing it from a start to finish perspective? No, or?
1: no, it's, it's just, just that, a lot harder. Yeah, there just weren't many foam forms back then.
0: Okay, so you had to you had to make your own.
1: Yeah, this was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> this was in the uh, early eighties. They didn't, they didn't have the two-inch-thick
0: catalogs we thumbed through today? No. forms.
1: They had 10-pagers. <laughs> <laughs> That's about what they had. A lot of deer. A lot of deer is what there was. And then Jonas Brothers started with the foam. Oh, yeah, I got to go there, too. Jonas Brothers, not, not the uh, millennial pop
0: boy band that you probably haven't even heard of. No. But no, not them, but a taxidermist group or brothers
1: yeah Jonas Brothers in Denver okay and there was a Jonas Brothers in New York too but they were kind of separate but Jonas Brothers made all these forms and they made a lot of paper forms but then they converted them over to foam gradually so that's where our foam forms started
0: so the paper forms sound like one at a time the foam form could you like mass produce them yeah every 12 minutes yeah okay but the paper forms you could not no Okay, so there's that no takes, takes business model and the paper
1: form. Paper forms take about a day, day and a half. Uh-huh. Because you actually got to let them dry some. Yeah. The foam. You're using red rosin paper and and plaster and, oh, I don't know. I can't remember what the glue mixture was, but you get that paper wet and you mold it into that mold and you got to put about five layers in there.
0: And then once that's dried, it's like a cast, and that's what you ultimately would stretch the hide to?
1: Yeah, that's what you'd put the skin on. Yeah. They were they were pretty accurate. I mean, they looked really good when you got done with them. They were just more work. Anybody make them today? No. Yeah, I can't imagine that that would have lasted. No, nobody makes them today. Some people were making fiberglass forms, but they were cheating a little. How so? Because they they'd buy a foam form. Oh. And and put fiberglass over the top of it and pop it off and they'd have a fiberglass
0: form. So what what would be the the pros and cons of paper,
1: fiberglass or foam? Foam is the best because it's fast, mass producible. Mass producible. Fiberglass takes overnight. I mean it takes Half a day to make one. So it's a whole speed thing. Right. When you're producing these forms. And the reason people were making fiberglass ones off of the foam ones were dollars and cents. Didn't cost them much to make a fiberglass.
0: Less than foam.
1: Right. Really?
0: I would have think that, like, the foam would have been the most economical farm, Uh, beyond.
1: No, foam foam is expensive, really. Hmm. But uh, fiberglass was a little more... You had a little more work involved. You put a backboard in it. Everything. You had to put a head block in. And what
0: what does that mean? A uh, uh, internal structural piece to hold things in place. Yeah, put a
1: head block that screwed the horns to screw to horns too. Gotcha. And oh, like the lips and the nose. You use a jigsaw to cut a lip slot and actually i would pour foam in the nose so you there was a lot of uh fine work to be done right on those fiberglass pieces but they work good i mean i used them in alaska for quite a few years these guys because it costs more to get a form up there so it's a shipping uh if, consideration yeah
0: yeah all right so you're touring around you're getting good at making forms um and where do you go from there
1: where do I go from there? So you you. Uh, I go from there to here. That's that's kind of when you transitioned yeah. to Montana. That's when I moved to Montana. I didn't make forms anymore. Didn't and didn't uh,
0: weren't interested in it. Or did you want to get back to like the artistry of the taxidermy yeah, or ra- What was it?
1: Rather do taxidermy than pour foam. Yeah, I can understand that. You know that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually. A lot of the forms that you make, you'd always um, make a straight first. And then you could cut that straight into a left and a right turn. And uh, just cover the the seams, the cuts a little bit with clay. And it, was, it speeded up the production of making molds. Yeah. By quite a bit.
0: More versatile. You could take one... One mold right and cut it into whatever you wanted it to. yeah be. you want to go left
1: and right then you all still do that today they still do it today
0: i mean you you'll customize or improvise a, a mold today however you need it to oh go. yeah we do that all the time but this was less options you didn't have yeah. six different left turns to pick from so
1: you no pick the one but uh, anyway they're still doing it today i mean when they're making forms they'll always make a straight and then they'll go from there, go from there and make a left and a right, except for the muskox we're working with right now, yeah I don't
0: there's, there's there's about one and a half forms to choose from.
1: there's not a big demand well, I'm demanding one, I know you are, but <sighs> <laughs> there's not as big a demand as theres for a white tailed deer, yeah, I get it a
0: supply and demand equation like any other market, and that's why they're so damn expensive.
1: That's why there's a the Sitka deer and Sitka deer deer. Sitka
0: Deer lives in Alaska Yeah Sika Deer lives in Japan and Maryland Okay I know, okay So you get to Montana and you build your home And you set your family up here and you build this shop Right Day one You Day opened one. up a taxidermy shop right here Right You know anybody here?
1: No well, I knew a couple people
0: but not many you put an ad in the newspaper? No How'd you get
1: the word out? I don't know, it just started coming just like I showed up on your doorstep, one you know. Day. Just <laughs> the more I did, the more I got. That's how it works. That's how it works. Then I went to a lot of gun shows too, things like that.
0: Oh, you'd have a booth or something, right? You would. Okay.
1: So I went to them. And I went to Safari Club, and from there it kind of mushroomed.
0: In the early days, what was like your specialty or what was it just a lot of deer and elk or were you were you known for anything in particular? Um, or were you just kind of a jack of all trades in the taxidermy world?
1: Well fish are what I was doing the most of for a while. So the fish, fish. the skin fish mountain was kind of your uh That's what your forte. A lot. But then you know, big game was obviously here. Right. So you got a quite a bit of that.
0: Yeah, I don't think there's any bighorns in Wisconsin.
1: No. No. No, not not really. And um uh, there just was mainly whitetails and fish.
0: Turkeys. You ever do did you start with bird? Did you ever mess around with birds in the early days? I, don't, really I don't like birds. I don't like birds either, man. <laughs> <laughs> alive or dead.
1: No, I don't like doing birds, so I don't do any.
0: <laughs> You're telling me you won't mount a turkey for me if I want you to?
1: No. You send me to someone else, won't you? Right.
0: <laughs> All right, so you uh you set up here. You start going to shows. Are you a one-man band here? You Are you running this?
1: No, I have Travis.
0: Well, no, back me. in the early days. Oh, in the early building days. Building the business, yeah.
1: Yeah, I was for... A couple of years. And then I had a gal call me that wanted to work for me. A gal? Yes. Interesting. Her name was Trudy. You yeah. said, Trudy, I got a dozen buffalo hides you can flush. She wouldn't do that. but <laughs> She was a good worker. And she learned fast. So she worked for me for quite a few years. Then I had other people that worked for me uh, through the years um there's a guy up, mark stanley he's up at columbia falls he's a really good taxidermist and i got travis travis is a really good taxidermist
0: yeah i like i like to believe travis is pretty world-class yeah and you're uh your finest protege hopefully that you've curated out of the shop through the years you, this is the only tax fun, fun fact, and maybe an obvious fact. This is the only taxidermist shop I've ever used. Well oh, good. And my house is full of taxidermy by you and Travis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I guess I'm a bit partial. But um, you guys are good at what you do. It's not a, it's not a taxidermy studio uh, with fifteen taxidermists mass producing work. Um, no. it seems like a more high quality lower volume uh, final product you guys produce out of this shop I mean every every respectable hunter I know in Montana brings their stuff
1: here well there's quite a bit here and I will admit oh. you busier than you want to be right now yes
0: you are you're trying to slow down I am, Travis isn't
1: Travis can keep working as much as he wants.
0: Yeah, I see him in there, <coughs> mounting up Becca Harris's mountain line right now. It's time for me to slow down a little bit. Well, I hope you don't. Um, what as a kid were you like into? Were you an artistic kid? Uh, I'm just trying to figure out like how a young man chooses the career path. Is, do you think it was just by your product of your environment and circumstances or did, were you artistic as a younger person?
1: Nah, I wasn't terribly artistic. Um that all came later. But uh I always like working with my hands, so yeah, and when we did the fish when I did the fish tax at army with this other fellow, it would seem to come pretty easy. I mean, you had a bit of a gift for it yeah we carved all the fish bodies and after you carve a few you get a hang for it and you know just kind of where to yeah where to cut them down at so you kind of uh got got focused on something you were good at yeah and uh the more you do the easier it is just like anything yeah Although some people never get it. So for someone listening
0: that is foreign to taxidermy, give me the elementary step-by-step uh, step of like, what what does it take to mount a deer? If I shoot a deer and I bring this deer just deader than dead to you, what are the steps to get to that deer hanging on the wall? First, got to skin it. So you skin the deer, skin you it, pull, and the get, of yeah, it. pull the hide off of it. Yeah,
1: we got to pull the hide off. We got to turn the lips into ears and everything, and flush it clean, and then we salt it down. So turning the lips and the ears, what what does that mean? That means you turn the ear inside out, which is incredibly
0: difficult if you have never done it.
1: Yeah, it would be.
0: So the, uh, believe it or not, the uh, the ear of a deer can be uh, pocketed. It can be kind of turned like a pillow sheet inside out.
1: Like a sock. Like a sock. Yeah, you turn it inside out. You have to split the lips and the eyes and nose and everything. But, I mean, we salt them down, dry them. Um, From there they go and get rehydrated and tanned. And we start working on them to put on a form. So you get the hide back from the tannery, which
0: the tanning process is a, a chemical bath that turns that raw hide into
1: leather. Right. Or like a, a preserved um, kind of soft suede. Yeah, not that quite like that because tan- taxidermy tanning is a little bit different. They actually soak them, rehydrate them in salt water. And from salt water, they go into a, um, acid solution of salt and you can use several different acids most common is formic and you can leave them in there a long time I mean that once the hide is it penetrates that hide in about three days the acid yeah so then it's cured through from there you drain them rinse them out neutralize the acid and shave it you got to shave it thin
0: cut off the thick leather
1: right Thin it down, and from there, you start the taxidermy process, which is stretching it to the form, right? you well
0: got to fit it to the form that it's going to live on,
1: right? Skin's got to fit the form.
0: But the taxidermy work blows me away because it's a combination of this like chemistry and acid baths, and then you guys are proficient at uh sutures and sewing the hide onto the form and then the artistry of bringing the face back to life Mm -hmm. what do you think the most like challenging steps when you get into that process of the taxidermy or for like a young taxidermist or what would separate a good taxidermist from a bad taxidermist
1: that's a loaded question oh probably setting the eyes and doing ears are one of the main things that I see wrong. That's but the easiest. When you look at a piece, that's the easiest to quickly pick, judge something. Yeah, uh, you can pick that out right away. Mm-hmm. And uh, bad taxidermy is bad taxidermy. You can't fix it. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose you can. Cause you you can. can. You can tear it back apart. People
0: do tear them apart and yeah. uh, remount
1: things. Yeah, you can tear them back apart. But, uh, no, it's. And like life-size, and Travis will tell you, that skin is, that form has got to fit the skin. There's no fudging. You can't you can't make that hide. So uh, no.
0: correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a, you know, a, a myth or there's a belief out there that, you know, uh, when you send that hide to the tannery, it's going to come back 20% smaller. Like be, it the, will
1: be somewhat smaller. But you rehydrate it? Rehydrate it and stretch it back out and it should be pretty dang close should be pretty close to what it was before mm-hmm. unless you get a bad tan or something but you know a good tan will let out to pretty much what it was before some skins don't like to let out real well what what's a tough animal to mount oh or skin to work with we were just talking about this morning, like a giraffe or um, any thick skin like that. They are they they tend not to let out as good because there's just so much yeah. volume to it. But then, like a regular buffalo, American buffalo, they let out more than what they were when they were green. Is that right? Because they shave them down, so they're thin and then they stretch they just, like a parachute. They just let out, huh? That's interesting.
0: Um, I remember years ago, you told me, you know, it's it's popularly accepted that uh, cats are, are the hardest thing for a taxidermist to do well. And you can kind of separate a good taxidermist from a bad taxidermist from, you know, very quickly by their, their work with cats. And uh, you had told me years ago that you could fix almost every bad cat mount pushing their eyes in a quarter inch <laughs> and i think that's, that's it would help true today if you see a uh a bug-eyed if you feline. See a lot of bug-eyed figure lines <laughs> so wait, what, is that the ta- is that the, the form come like that it no, just no. wants to be like that or is that just the you can do anything you want with that form why do you think a cat
1: is so hard to mount i don't know i mean because it is yeah i that the eyes seem like the biggest problem. They don't they don't set the eyes in enough. Just doesn't look natural. Just doesn't look natural.
0: I I feel that way about open-jaw predators, you know, like whether it's a bear roaring or a lion screaming. I always think, I mean, y'all can make them look good here, I know, but I'm a big advocate for mounting things with their mouths closed or just a bit of a slack jaw.
1: Don't like the killer mount, huh? No. Is that what you call him? <laughs>
0: That's what I call him, the killer mount. Because I just said this to Travis: of all the time you spend in the field with that predator, it's probably one percent or less that that animal is snarling at you. So to try to like recreate it in a forever position to do that seems
1: silly to me, and they often don't look great. Well. That's like these killer brown bear mounts that you see. <laughs> yeah, the brown bear uh, asleep most of the day. I'll tell you, if you if you're if you get that close to that brown bear and he's that mad, you are not going to survive.
0: <laughs> you ain't bringing him here to the taxidermy. No, you're shop.
1: not bringing him here because he's going to eat you.
0: Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I think you're right. Oh, that's for sure. Yeah, maybe maybe it would be like a memorial taxidermy piece like to remember you by because that bear killed you. <laughs> It's the only way that that's a realistic yeah. uh, depiction of that bear. When you're hunting bears, you n-
1: never see them snarling at you.
0: No, they're usually they're chewing on grass and pooping and sleeping. Usually they're trying to go the other way. Yeah, ain't that the truth? How was your hunting season this year? It was good. What'd you do? I killed a real
1: nice whitetail. You did? Yeah. Here in Montana. Yep. How how nice is nice? I don't know. 20 some inches wide nice heavy four point
0: for the midwest folks uh that would be a eight point that would be an eight pointer four by four here in montana yep so you got a nice white tail yep at the
1: end oh middle of the season sort of was he rutting just starting yeah just poked out at dark no they were out all day really must have
0: had some good feed, alfalfa, a- and limited hunting pressure. No
1: hunting pressure, <laughs> except you. <laughs> no hunting pressure whatsoever. <laughs> no, I've known this guy for a long time, and he's got a lot of deer on his place. Mm-hmm. So you just kind of cruise around and look at different deer, and that's fun. You don't never get out of your vehicle and walk because you'll scare every deer off the place.
0: I know, I, I try to tell uh, clients that when I'm guiding. I'm like, just act, we're going to act like a rancher. They see ranchers every day. Yep. You start acting like a hunter, they know what's up. They are going to bugger out of here faster than you can close the car door.
1: That's for sure. Um. And, um well, he had a lot of deer. You got a good one. But I got a good one. Actually, we killed three good ones.
0: You got to show them to me.
1: Two g- Two good ones and a management deer, which is 20-some inches wide. And Jeez. It's a two-by-three. Oh, cool. And Kate's girlfriend was along. and
0: Kate is your grandson. Yes. Fellow Alaskan hunting guide.
1: Right. Anyway, uh, Kate and I had our deer, and uh, she hadn't planned on hunting at all. She just wanted to come along and look at the deer. I said, you got a deer tag? <laughs> she said, yeah. Go ahead. You're going to go shoot that call deer. That one there. needs to go. That one needs to go, John said. <laughs> she said, you you think we can find him? I said, I know exactly where he is. He's been there for two and a half days. <laughs> He's been there for five years. So anyway, went down there, and sure enough, that deer was back out right where he had been in the morning. Mature deer? Yes like a five six year old deer oh, that's great, and she made a great shot. Oh, that's fun. I mean, that deer hit the ground so fast he didn't know what happened. What well, is the
0: lucky, It's the it's the greatest gift we could give a wild animal is that quick,
1: surprising death, yeah, I mean, she did, and she was just ecstatic that she killed a deer. I love it. that was her first deer, oh cool,
0: so uh-oh. I helped a young man kill his first deer. In the, in the f- waning sunset hours of Sunday night, our closing day.
1: Okay. Yeah,
0: just here in the Gallatin Valley. Huh. We were all but done for the day and um, just kind of swung for the fences, saw these deer on this property, and I knocked on the door. All right. And I was like, hey, I'm so sorry to bother you. Uh, got a young kid here, 12-year-old kid here trying to kill his first deer. We got about forty-five minutes left in the entire deer season here. Would you let a, Would you let this kid uh, go have a crack at a buck back there in the back forty? And They were like, "Go get him!" <laughs> and we ended up shooting a nice, mature four-by-four four whitetail too. Oh, good. Yeah, that was pretty fun. It was special to help people. I love taking people out hunting for their first critter. Um. Yeah taxidermy questions what is the craziest species you've mounted okay uh-huh. cra- crazy might be a weird adjective uh rare rarest most interesting
1: hmm well a capybara is not interesting but it's probably the rarest thing we've mounted
0: boy that and that is the south american rodent Right. Swamp rodent, like a beaver, muskrat.
1: That's what they are.
0: That's pretty cool.
1: They're homely. They're what? They're homely. Homely. Well, you mean uh, like they're cute? Well, I don't know if I'd call them cute. Is that what homely means? Yeah. Like no. they're
0: kind of like nice looking.
1: Sort of. But that—that's probably one of the things. Uh, I've done an elephant already. Yeah. Yep. Just like the head. Right. And so how much of that is real? All of it, but the ears. So the ears are but manufactured. The, we we used the real ears on this one. You did? Yeah, we had a gloom over the top of the fiberglass ears. <laughs> the guy <laughs> you just. got the fake ears. Right, and the guy just had to have the real skin on his ears. I can respect that. No, that was a pain. <laughs> Those artificial ears look exactly like the real ones, but they're not. Yeah, but they look real. <laughs> so, and you bolt them on. I mean, they they come off and they go. You bolt them on there. That's right. They're kind of modular. Those giant mounts,
0: just like today, like the elk I'm looking at right now. I bet his his antlers come off. Not his. But that's pretty common in a taxidermy yeah. today, as far as to make it easier to move
1: them and stuff. Yeah, you can take one off. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's been some weird things over the years. Monkeys. 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 Baboons. Things like that. And do they make forms for these? Yep. Has there ever been
0: something that you just had to s- start from scratch with? Or uh, you always... Uh,
1: there's been a couple things. And... uh they really are a challenge because you gotta chop them into something totally different than they are. Yeah. I mean, we did a doll sheep that was a standing form, and you got to make it into a laying down form. Oh boy,
0: that's uh, where I think uh, the artistry and the uh, like, the anatomical knowledge that you have to have as a taxidermist is most impressive. Where you really do break things down to like a structure, uh, a skeletal mm. almost.
1: Well, we had to do that because it wasn't a very big-bodied sheep. I mean, he had decent horns, but he was a small sheep, and there's there's n- most forms are the same size. But This one wasn't, so we got a form that would fit him, and we just had to make it laying down. So you just have to start whittling away at it. You got to cut all the legs off at the like shoulders. You got everything's got to be cut and put into different poses, in you yeah. get them laying down. And that's is that a combination of like wire and clay? No, it's a combination of screws and foam. Oh, is that right? That's what it is. And and then some uh shaping. Um, Yeah, that too. And some uh, ready rod. What's ready rod? Ready rod is threaded rod that uh, you can cut channels into those legs after you get them modified. Mm -hmm. And then you bond all that ready rod in there to make them stronger.
0: I see. So you kind of reinforce it. Yeah. Kind of.
1: Otherwise, you're going to have a leg that'll break
0: yeah with the hide on it yeah huh yeah i think uh the most interesting thing i have or uh the most interesting thing i've seen in here you were kind enough to gift to me years ago i don't even know if you remember this jerry african serval oh that was living up in the corner of the showroom for year are you pointing at another one
1: no that's where he was living is
0: that where he was yeah. Well, I know where he lives today. Yeah, I do too. Proudly at my house. <laughs> um this is African serval, very long legged African cat. Um kind of looks like a cheetah or something, but it's a, a right. quarter of the size. Yep. And uh, I guess someone had dropped that on you and disappeared or never paid the bill, and all of a sudden twenty years went by and it had an inch of dust on it in the mm. corner and it I had said, a goal. I said, "Whose is that?" Can I? And I think I offered to buy it from you. You're like, "You want that dang thing?" And you were kind enough to clean it up, repaint its face, and you brought it to uh, Stone Glacier. You dropped it off at the shop. Hm, I did, huh? You did. I don't remember that. Well, I do, and it's uh, one of my most cherished pieces. It's what, the only piece of taxidermy I have that I, you know, didn't personally hunt. Um. And then one day here, you were remounting a big mule deer, a big mule deer that maybe had a, a crummy mount from a long time ago. And so laying outside in your dumpster was a uh, a scalped deer, deer, shoulder mounted. Yeah. And I took that home too. Okay. And I went and skull capped one of my better mule deer <laughs> and sank a lag screw <laughs> into its head and that is my uh limited experience with taxidermy is bolting on some of my own antlers onto 30 year old throwaway uh shoulder mounted deer
1: okay hmm.
0: wish i was better at it but i'm not uh but it it all interests me so much you still think the fish are uh the true artistry of taxidermy
1: oh i don't know i mean it's it's all mechanics to me the painting of the fish is artistic more than anything
0: and do you paint them with a brush or a air gun or air,
1: airbrush you do yep you gotta paint the entire fish
0: is it a multi-step process yes you put a base layer down then come in and do detail or something like that?
1: Well, you start with base colors. Yeah. And work your way up from there.
0: What flavor fish do you think is the most uh difficult to paint? La- lake trout. A
1: lake trout. A An lake invasive trout. species. A lake trout. They're a pain. Why is that? I don't know. It's just them spots are hard to recreate so you got to really be careful when you're painting it. Takes forever. <laughs> huh? Takes forever.
0: I, I would think, uh, you know, like a brown trout or I'm trying to think of a no. uh, colorful or a mahi-mahi. Well, I don't no. see much salt water here. We're a long ways from the ocean. I was going to
1: say, we're a ways from the ocean.
0: Yeah, but we are a long ways from Asia. And you got exotic sheep in here all the time. And
1: you have clients that send you stuff from all over planet Earth. Well, there's not as many of them hunting those animals anymore like there used to be, mainly because I think they're expensive. Yeah, that that's. I think that's used, absolutely... you really used expensive. to be able
0: to go over to Asia and shoot half a dozen different sheep and ureels or uh, capri species for $10,000 or something. You can't. Now you can barely go get a
1: chamois for $10,000. I was going to say, you can't do that anymore. No. And like doll sheep and stone sheep, all of those are getting really... They are expensive. They're not it's, getting expensive. They are. The Stone Sheep is out of control. That's out of
0: control. I don't I don't want to say out of control. Uh yes, it is. It, it, it's mind blowing. It it is mind stone sheep today I think is four to five times what it was eight years ago.
1: Yeah, you're looking at a hundred grand. Minimum. Yep.
0: I know that there are outfits in British Columbia that are booked out four or five years. Mm-hmm. And those clients for four or five years have a large deposit down and don't know what the final bill will be because the price tag for five years from now is not yet determined.
1: That's true. Golly. And that's not saying you're going to get one. Well, that's
0: true. That's true. There's a lot of resources and
1: skilled professionals uh, in in your corner, when you do go on that hunt though i think I think the percentage on stone sheep is only sixty percent, really, really. you gotta be talking like uh so forty like percent of Yukon the Yukon has some stones, lower Yukon, yeah, that's where the low percentages are, and uh I think I mean if you come home without one and you spent a hundred thousand dollars, you'd feel like shit excuse y- me
0: yeah i uh, i uh, don't know if i could live with myself after that but a lot of these people going on those hunts that's uh a, that's a that's a, maybe a write off or a, a drop
1: in the bucket drop in the bucket is what it's called
0: what species what what impresses you as far as uh trophy animals
1: oh i don't know i guess a big mule deer yeah um, that's a good answer something on that order any more, a big antelope impresses me. Matters where it's from. Montana. If it's a big antelope from
0: Montana, it's impressive. If it's yes. a big antelope from Arizona, it's a little more uh,
1: expected. Yes. But I mean, anything like that, anything, anything that's big is impressive. Not as much as it used to be, but yeah.
0: You get, we live in the land of uh, the biggest bighorns in the world, and you get a lot of them here. You get get a lot of the Missouri River Breaks sheep brought into this studio. Is that a, I'm quick to, I know they're impressive and 200 inches, but as far as the sheep hunting angle from the hunting experience, I'm quick to kind of dog on Missouri (laughs) River sheep because it's it's fairly easy not anymore is that right it's getting
1: quite a bit tougher
0: well right. uh, let me rephrase the the hunt is not that strenuous i mean perhaps it could be you could go climb through the brakes for three months and oh. really bust your butt doing it but compared to backpack sheep hunting for doll sheep or stone
1: sheep or oh, right? yeah it's it's easier than that that's for sure but they're damn big. But they're bigger. There's not as many, because I think they've over-hunted them, you know, to a point now. Because people are having to struggle to get a upper 80s ram anymore.
0: What always blew me away about the Missouri River Breaks was they were killing these 190, 200-inch sheep that were like seven years old. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. Is, is there a... Uh, plutonium leak out there is some nuclear phenomenon.
1: No, it must be just a a gene that's in those sheep and they grow fast. Golly. And I think they live easy. They don't winter that hard. I don't think they winter that hard. That helps them quite a bit. Did I know it's like the hardest sheep tag to draw
0: in the world, but it always did blow me away when you look at how many there they actually do give us quite a
1: bit of sheep tags
0: and there's U tags.
1: Um, They've cut back on the U-tags now. I think there's 20, 20 ram tags on the north side and 15 on the south side. Now. Well,
0: that's that's not as many as there used to be, huh?
1: No, just because the numbers aren't there let th- like they used to have. But still, I mean, they kill some real good rams.
0: Yeah, they certainly do. It's not a tackle I've ever put in for, and I never will put in for it.
1: Um, I've put in for it for 42 years, and I haven't got Is that where you're
0: at with it? Yes. But you only got 22 points because they didn't start the point program until? I know.
1: I was in on the first point thing many, many years ago, and I was just to the point of drawing, and they did away with it. It's like, oh, you people. Oh, Oh, it was like a Wyoming thing. Where, like, it was guaranteed. Yeah, you were gaining the point a year. Well, you still do that. Yeah, but this was more limited.
0: You say Montana used to be structured, uh, how I understand it, like Wyoming, where, like, if you have max points, Mm -hmm. you
1: will draw. Right. Huh, I didn't know that. That was many years ago. And then they did away with it and went to the system. They got now where. It's just random. It's just random. You can have 42 points, and the guy with one-point draws. I got to tell you, as a younger guy, uh, I like that system
0: because it gives me hope. (laughs) I drew a mountain goat tag with two points. Well. And uh, that was actually the very first piece of taxidermy I ever had done in my entire life. And you did it. You life-sized my mountain goat.
1: Yeah. It was in my living room today. But, I mean, uh, so I don't know if they're going to give me a tag yet before I – Quit putting in or not.
0: Quit putting in? You quit putting in, you better not have a pulse.
1: Well. You're going to get it. Things get tougher every year. I did I did draw one bighorn tag in Wyoming.
0: Oh, that's right.
1: Yep. Tell me about that. I had 11 points, which was max. And the outfitter told me to put in for area one, which I did. Which is around, like, Cody? Cody to Cook City.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, it's right outside of the Unlimited.
1: Sunlight Basin. Yeah. All of that stuff. There's... Well, Sunlight Basin is kind of on the edge of two and one. But anyhow... um, Were
0: you guaranteed that tag when you put in for it?
1: I was pretty much assured that I was going to get it that year. Well, that's a good feeling. Because... The year before, somebody with one less point drew in that area. So he said, put in because you're you're pretty much a shoe in to get a tag. And I did. Who was your outfitter? Um, you had to ask me that. <laughs> well, <the> g- <laughs> me, Dominic, was the guide. It was a good hunt? yes September September um, I made it out with the outfitter to just fit me in book his normal clients because some of them will fill out in two days and I told myself I'll, I'll just finish their hunt because they go home then
0: Well what was your thinking you're like semi-local and you're not in a rush
1: Well, uh, it only takes me an hour and a half two hours to get down there
0: let let this other tag holder get out of the way and yeah, let's uh, go on a proper hunt.
1: Then we'll go finish out his hunt. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Is what we did. That worked out. I mean I went down there a couple times, but
0: And that's mountain hunting though. That's mountain sheep yeah. hunting. That's not the brakes.
1: No. Um I killed my ram pretty close to Cook City. Just in the other state. Yeah. Actually, I could see Montana from where I was sitting up there. That's cool. But it lucked out the day before. I was supposed to go down to Sunlight Basin, and we were going to ride out from there because he had flew it a couple of days earlier and found ten rams. But jackpot. Mead went up to see his girlfriend on the day off, and found three rams.
0: Well, is his girlfriend a mountain troll? No. How do how do you how do you go see your girlfriend and find three rams at the same time?
1: Well, she worked in Cook City, mm. and he drove up from Sunlight Basin, and he knew where we to look for these sheep, you know, in different places. Right. And spotted three of them that afternoon. They were just kind of moving through, but it was kind of a misty day, and it rained a little bit that night, so they told me to come to Cook City and meet him there. Them rams were still there in the same place they were the night before, so we put a run on them. It you can't
0: you can't run in that country.
1: No, that's some steep stuff. It took a while, but we got above them and I got a good shot at this ram. What kind of sheep was he? Um, let's see. He scored one sixty-seven. Nice for Wyoming, that's a good sheep. How old was it? Seven, but I mean there was. That's a big
0: seven-year-old for that country. I yeah,
1: like. I mean we peeked over the edge, and there were two of them down there, and shot the big one. Yes, <laughs> the so they were both pretty good, but you know the guy. bead says, "Which one you're gonna shoot?" I'm gonna shoot the biggest one. I said. <laughs> 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 Whichever one looks biggest to me. I said, I, said, I think I'm going to shoot the one on the right. Yeah. And uh, I killed that ram dead right on his spot. And the other ram never even ran away. Well, that tells you that
0: you killed the dominant sheep,
1: right? No, I mean, the other ram was facing the other way, and this ram just went like this. Dropped. Dropped out of sight. And the ram looks around, the other one looks around, and didn't see nothing going on. They hear rocks, you know, tumbling all the time. He went back to feeding mm-hmm. until we started down after the <laughs> other sheep. <laughs> That's pretty wild. But uh, And he was a pretty respectable sheep, too. So she you got yourself a nice bighorn. Yep. Got yourself a nice whitetail this year. I did. I just got to get some of them mounted now that I have. I know a taxidermist. I do, too, but. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you tell him I sent you.
1: Heck. I got a mule deer that scores 192 I haven't got mounted yet. From
0: Montana? Yeah.
1: Get out of here. I do. Holy smokes. And there's another one. Oh, there's a couple other ones that are pretty good, too. Your deer? Yeah.
0: Wow. Well. Mule deer seem like they're getting, big ones are getting harder and harder
1: to find. They're right? hard to find. In the and in the old stomping grounds, at least. And there's no particular one spot. No. Big ones I mean, come and go from everywhere. It's just one here and one there, and that's about it. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. What's your dream hunt?
0: the Missouri, If you say Missouri River Breaks, I'm going to dismiss it and ask you what your next dream hunt is.
1: Oh, God, I don't know if I have any.
0: I just like going out. You know what my dream hunt is right now? Polar bear.
1: You can't have
0: one. Yes, I can. I can't bring it to this shop, but right. I can
1: go hunt one. Yeah, you can go shoot one. Yes. But you can't bring it home. Might move to Canada. Yeah? You can no, do not, not doing that.
0: Uh, but in all seriousness, that muskox hunt up in the Arctic really really uh stoked my fire for arctic adventures i I think everybody should experience the arctic at some point you yeah. need to go up there
1: oh i don't know get you a big seal <laughs> i don't need a seal <laughs> really <laughs> oh good stuff I used to think I wanted to go to Africa, but I really don't have much desire to go over there right now. Yeah, I. it's never really gotten me too jazzed up. I know you can shoot a bunch of animals.
0: Yeah, you can do that in Texas, too.
1: Yeah, you can do that in Texas, too. What I
0: would like to do in Africa is the cat, the cat hunting. Leopard and lion and all the small cats. That interests yeah. me very much. I don't think they're cheap anymore, either. No. The good, the good hunt, the good wild hunts, yeah, I don't think you're, I don't think you're turning those up too easily anymore either.
1: I think a leopard is a little more, um, reasonable to go after than a lion anymore. Hm. I don't hear too many people killing lions. No, I don't either. Leopards, they still are hunting.
0: Yeah, I still see a lot of
1: big leopards. Yeah. On the internet. Because there are lo- quite a few big leopards in Africa. Yeah. That there is. Lion population is not as robust right now. I don't know what the deal is there. Hm. I think uh, too much bad press and all that. I sort think of that's thing. a lot of it. I think that's a lot of it. people the interest goes away, and when the interest
0: goes away, the resource goes away, and. Yep. It's just the way it is.
1: And that's what I think most of it is. Leopards, they don't seem to have too much of an uproar over. <laughs> <laughs> they look dangerous. <laughs> hey, right. A lion looks dangerous. I don't know.
0: Yeah, if I go to Africa, it would be for, for cats. That's for sure. And when I go back to the Arctic, I hope it's for a polar bear. <laughs>
1: well.
0: well, you got to show me this white tail you got this year. I'll I'll, uh, I'll let you off the hook here. But we'll do this again because okay. you've got, you got more stories to tell. Appreciate you sitting down talking with me. No problem. Let's get this muskox mounted. Because my house has so much room for a life-size muskox right now. It does, huh? No, that's a joke. I was thinking that. But I'm trying to move, so. Trophy room, here I come. Thanks, Jerry. Yep.